Hey, my name is Brianna, and you're listening to the FCC Grayson Podcast. God is doing some incredible things here at First Church. To learn more about FCC and maybe plan your visit, head on over to FCCGrayson.com. We hope today's message gives you hope, inspires, and encourages you in your walk with God. Let's dive into today's message. Give you a little bit of a story before we head into the message this morning. We're going to be in verses 19 through 23 in Ephesians 1. And the overarching theme in this passage is the power of Christ, is the power of our Savior and the power of our Lord. And I thought about this week, what are some things that I've experienced in my lifetime that I would, be con- that I would consider to be powerful? And I remember um, high school, uh, some, me and a group of my friends went out to the farm. And just to show you the level of intelligence that was functioning within me and my friend group at this point in our lives, we were out on, in the middle of a field about Two o'clock in the morning, so there's zero light out there. We have a light-up Nerf football, so we can see the football, and that's it. But we think we've got to have a way to be able to mark goalpost, you know, the, mark the end zone. So what's a natural remedy for that? You put up dark tobacco sticks, right? You jam them in the ground. None of us got impaled, which is a miracle in itself. But I believe the reason that we didn't get impaled was because of the safety precautions we took with these tobacco sticks because we saw the danger and we thought we need to do something so we can identify where these things are. Hey, let's take some of that orange uh, kind of tie-off tape. You know, it's the same consistency as the caution tape, uh, but we'll tie that around there and it can kind of flap in the wind. You know, still couldn't see a thing. But during this time, I remember one of my buddies brought his cousin who lived in a different state. They were in visiting, and they were hanging out with him. And this dude was like that tall, all right? And, you know, it was the game of touch football that never was really going to be touch football to begin with. So they were saying that, okay, you're going to be lined up against this guy. And we were both playing on the line. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I am going to slaughter this guy. I mean, this dude stands zero chance. So the first snap of the ball, bam, he comes up underneath me, puts both hands right here, lifts me what felt like about 17 feet off the ground, and then did like a, a, a big body slam, just a power bomb right there on the ground. I was like, <gasps> staring up at the sky. I spent more time looking at the stars that night than I've ever looked at in my life to the place that I was just going to the, can we, can we just stop, guys? And then I was like trying to run away from him when the ball was snapped, and he was running me down because he was faster than I was, but he was also way stronger than I was. And I remember that being my first encounter with something that was truly, really more powerful than I was. But then I go on a vacation uh, and we go to the beach, and I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm neutral when it comes to the beach, okay? Put me in a mountain somewhere, no cell phone signal, no nothing, put me off the grid. I love that type of getaway. The beach, I'm neutral on. Um, I, um, I do not get in the water. 
Just don't. The only time you'll see me move on the beach is when I have to adjust the umbrella because I'm now in the sun in my chair. But there's a couple reasons that I don't get in the water. Number one, there's sharks in there. Okay, Discovery Channel. It's called Shark Week. Every August, watch it. There's sharks in the ocean, people. Scientific fact. Number two, my last true experience in the ocean wasn't a pleasant one because the chop was kind of rough that day, and again, I wasn't, um, I, I'm not, I, and a lot of you would say amen to this, I'm not really the most intelligent person now, but I really wasn't then. So we decide we need to go out there and see who can like, take the biggest wave. So we're all just getting hammered by these waves, I mean, just getting nailed, and you know, just, I'm pretty sure we were concussed to some degree. But then I remember seeing one coming at me, and you know it's like that one rogue wave that just is three times bigger than the rest of them. I remember seeing this thing coming and realizing there was absolutely nothing that I could do to get away from this thing. So I'm just like, all right. They always say to dive through it, right? That's the instruction, dive through it. Well, when it's a 72-foot wave, there's no diving through this thing. I tried. I dove it stood me straight up, and the next thing I remember is I'm up in the air turning around, and I'm seeing all of these people down there on the beach that are really, really tiny, and then I look down, and there's no water underneath me anymore. That wave had picked me up and threw me in the air. I landed, gathered myself, stepped out of the water. Nope, not again. But that was more powerful than that that guy I was playing football against. And then, Kim and I, when we were first married, we moved down to North Carolina, and we were doing a little bit of remodel to a house, and I was changing faceplates on the plug-ins, on the electrical outlets. So I was really, you know, worked all day. I was really in a hurry trying to get this last one done. I was taking my screwdriver as a flathead, which is the worst invention in mankind, by the way. I don't know who came up with a flathead screwdriver. But I'm sitting there, I'm doing this, and the question that you're asking is probably, did I, did I kill the breaker? No. <laughs> no, I did not. I'm doing this, and I'm in too big of a hurry, and the screwdriver slips off, goes into one of the plug-ins, comes through to me, I'm done for the night. So it was stronger than the dude I was playing football against. It was stronger than the wave that I had encountered earlier in my life, and now... I could just, my dad, you know, had already passed by that point, but I could literally hear him laughing in my head as I was laying there on the floor after receiving this shock. I don't even know if Kim ever knew that I did that or not. Um, it was a good one, like the screwdriver, there were chunks of metal missing out of it everywhere. It was good. But as I look at this and I think about these increasing experiences with power, then I have to look at things that even I haven't experienced, things that's more powerful than that, like, you know, the, the force of a tornado. I, I've fortunately, I've been close to being in one, but I've never actually been truly in the midst of a tornado. And then if we look at all of these different things, all these natural disasters, all of these powerful happenings that we can see, all the way up to if we get into the universe and we get into the most powerful known thing to the world, which is a black hole, think about this for just a moment. No matter if it was a dude that was significantly smaller than I was on a football field, a wave, an electrical current, or even a black hole, the most 
powerful thing that we know of in the universe, they still pale in comparison to the power of the one who spoke those things into existence. Think about that. The most powerful thing that we know of, period, in the entire universe, God spoke it, and simply the power of his words were enough that it was created. That is how powerful that our God is. So kind of having that understanding, let's go ahead and read our passage this morning. First, Ephesians chapter 1, starting with verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might? that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body to the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray this morning. Father, we, we take this moment and we acknowledge your presence, uh, your, your Holy Spirit that we feel here in this place. And God, we thank you that, uh, that the biblical truth is still biblical truth, that wherever two or three are gathered, there you are in our midst. Father, as we've opened your word, I pray that you found the reading of your word pleasing and honoring to you. I pray that now for everyone who hears this, every listener uh, that, that, hear, uh, that hears the word this morning, that their ears would be open, their hearts and their minds, um, and, and they, they would just let it convict them, comfort them, challenge them. Whatever that you want done, let it be in their hearts this morning. God, I pray right now for me that you would speak through me. Holy Spirit, I ask that you use my voice to speak your words and that I may, um, when I finish this message, it can be said that I have divided your word rightly. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So let's, let's look at the overall theme of this passage first. And like I said, I told you it's power. And verse 19 gives us that indication. Again, let's remember, this is a continuing thought. Okay, Paul has not broken down these sections of writing. It's not one that he's added to and then come back and added a little bit more that he stopped, that he come back. We, you know, we, we talked at length about the fact that verses 3 through 14 were one continuous run-on sentence. Well, Paul, staying in true Paul fashion, verses 15 through 23 in the original Greek is one run-on sentence as well because he's gone from this moving from the 3 through 14 of spiritual blessings that we have in Christ Jesus he's moved to a prayer that he's praying for the church he's praying for the saints the body of believers of Jesus Christ and we covered that last week about what he was praying for this revelation this wisdom this insight having the eyes of their hearts enlightened and opened and us having these moments with God to where he is still just striking us with awe as to who he is. And then Paul takes this passage of Scripture, and he begins to give us the answer of why. Why we are blessed with all these things. Why we need to be seeking God. Why we need this wisdom and revelation and knowledge in him. 
And verse 19 is the theme when he says that, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. Now he's coming off of verse 18 here where he's talking about the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. How do we receive this glorious inheritance as saints, as, as sons and daughters, as children of God? It's through the immeasurable greatness of his power. Now, in, an, uh, in the Greek, you know, we, the English language falls short a lot of times. There is actually four different references to God's power in this, very, in this very verse. In verse 19, we see that it in, in this version that we read, and in most translations, you'll only see the word power mentioned once. But I'm going to read kind of a, a, a flat, very literal translation from the Greek into English if it were to just be translated just kind of with, with some g generic um, translation here. He would say, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe according to the power of his power for his great power? That's how it would read. Four references to power. Now, in the Greek, there's different nuances to these, the, this, this term power. He's talking about that in this moment that God is actively pursuing and actively imposing his will in certain areas of this world. It's not a passive power that Paul's referring to here. It's not a power that came and then left and is no longer. He's talking about this imposing power of his will by his strength, which is another portion of this power. So it's an imposition of his will, an enforcing of his will in certain areas of his sovereignty, that he's doing it through his strength, and it's establishing his dominion here on earth. Now, I know that this is one of those things that we can look and say, okay, so you're telling me that this passage says that God's imposing his will, and it's through his strength and his might and that his dominion is being established here on earth. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Here's the difficulty we have with that. We look around and we see the earth basically going to hell around us. Okay, we see things in a horrible position, in a, in a terrible state. We see famine. We see wickedness. We see all of these injustices. We see cruelty. We see violence. We see hate. We see anger. We see all of these things. And our minds can't wrap around the fact that, so you're saying that God is imposing his power, his will, by his authority, by his strength to establish his dominion. Preacher, I just don't see it. And I understand that. I understand that. But we're going to see, as we kind of continue to dissect this passage, that Paul's going to give us what it looks like. He's going to give us a playing out. He's going to tell us the target of what God's power, his will, and his sovereignty to see his dominion established. He gives us a conduit from that. But first, he kind of goes into this talking about Christ. And he, he makes kind of a bridge statement here in verse 20. And then he begins to detail 
these in particular things about Jesus Christ. Verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Now, I want to pause there for just a minute, and I want to tell you why I believe that Paul very specifically goes into detail about Jesus Christ right here. I believe that Paul has just come off of this. If you'll remember, verses 3 through 14, we talked about that being a a place in Scripture where we see the Trinity on display because we see Paul talking about the blessings of God the Father. We see Paul talking about the blessings of God the Son. And then we see him conclude that passage with the blessings of God the Holy Spirit. So I think that there's a couple reasons that Paul truly and, and in great detail identifies Jesus here in this passage. I think we have to look at who the church was made up of. And we've talked about this a couple weeks, so I'm not going to go into great detail. But the the church at Ephesus and the surrounding churches, as this was a circular letter, would be made up of Jewish converts to Christianity and Gentile converts to Christianity, which we know that Gentile was basically, if you weren't a Jew, you were a Gentile. So Paul's having to clear a couple things up here because Paul is making these statements and he's beginning to talk to Jesus, talk about Jesus. And when he begins to talk about Jesus in this language, as we see in verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, that would have stood out to the Jewish converts because that would have taken them back to the I am statements. That would have taken them back to when Moses was in front of the burning bush all the way back in Genesis, and it would have said to them that this person that Paul is writing about, this Jesus, is identifying as the one who is saying that I am the I am. And we see Jesus making these statements throughout the Gospels, not just to reveal a certain nature about him, but he was saying this, and these Jews, these people who would have had history with this, would have known that he was referencing to himself as the Messiah, as the Son of God, as the Savior of the world, as the one who had come to redeem the nation of Israel. That's what would have come to their mind. Now the Gentiles, this, especially this part of the name above all names, this would have come to a, they would have come from a completely different background, and we can't cover all of the backgrounds because it's impossible. But we do know that at the city of Ephesus, when we went through this first message, we talked about how it was a cultural melting pot about how the, it used to be a port city, and the, the goddess, the temple of the goddess Artemis, or Diana, was there. And this is a big tourist attraction. This is where a lot of people made pilgrimages to, to come to worship. Ephesus was not, it wasn't really a secular city. It was a pagan city, but it was a very religious city. So what Paul would have done by saying this name above all names or every name that's mentioned or every name that's established, Paul would have said that Jesus is above any of these gods that you've ever been introduced to. Any of these gods that you've ever heard about in this city, any of these gods that you would have ever been taught about in your youth, any of these gods that culture is trying to tell you is powerful, that needs to be served, is okay to be served, I'm telling you that Jesus is not only above them, but he's far above them. 
And if they would have had a polytheistic background, which would have meant that they would have believed in multiple gods, which the Greeks and Romans did, then what Paul was saying is like, you can take all of the gods that you knew before, you can combine them together, and you can even put them against God at that point, and his name is still above them. You know, sometimes I think that we lose appreciation and value and just the weight of the power of the Savior that we serve. Because God is above all. Verse 22 says that he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body to the fullness of him who fills all in all. Those who would have been studied in the Old Testament, in the original in the original writings, in the original covenant, those with the Jewish background, they would have recognized that as Paul's writing this, there's shades of Daniel chapter, or chapter 7, verses 13, where he's talking about the Son of Man being lifted up. Talking about Psalm 110, where David is talking about the Son of Man being seated at the right hand of the Father. These would have all been tumblers that would have unlocked their thinking in their mind that Jesus is this one that's been prophesied about for thousands of years, and not only has he been prophesied about, but he's more powerful than we can ever imagine. And here's how Paul establishes Christ's power. This is what he says. Let's go back to verse 20. That he worked in Christ. That's God. That God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now let's stop right there. The only person in the history of mankind to ever be able to defeat death who has power over death is Jesus Christ that name above all names that name above every other religion that power above every other ideology that power that source that authority that dominion over every worldly ideal that we can have the mat if we look at the major religions of the world you show me the one that they they consider supreme and the one that they worship as the highest as the most exalted and if you'll look at them every one of them still dead one man one person in the history of us can say that I have power over the grave I have power over death you know, we all heard the saying, that, listen, there's two certainties in this life. What are they? <laughs> Death and taxes is the same, right? But here's the thing. When you serve Jesus Christ and that power, that authority, that dominion, you are serving someone who has been victorious taken the keys to death, hell, and the grave, and sits at the right hand of the Father with everything under his authority. Verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things. Now we're going to get into this target that I told you about a few minutes ago. 
this outplaying, this what does this look like? What, what physically could this mean for us? So God's, Jesus has got authority over all things. And if any of us have authority, it's because we've been given authority by him. And if you have authority in any capacity, whether it's spiritual, secular, whatever, governmental, if you have authority, you've not earned that authority. That authority has been gifted to you by Jesus Christ, who has authority over all things. And if you have that type of authority, you will be held accountable for how you handled that authority. All right. Look at what he's given all things over to. Verse 22, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Folks who are here, folks who are at home, hear me clearly this morning. Your local church is important. Your local church is important in your walk with God. In this letter, I think we have to understand something that the Word of God, even though there's parts of it that are directly applicable to me personally, this book wasn't written to me. His Word is to the church. Now, granted, individually, we all make up the church. There's no oversight of that. But we see in Paul's writings as he goes through Galatians and he goes through Corinthians and as he talks about all of these and he talks about the church being the body, that us as individual making up this body, this organism, this thing that Christ is the head of, that he gives life to, that he has authority to. And we're seeing Paul saying that this great power of Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father with everything under his feet, all of the power, all the dominion, all the authority, the practical playing out of that is the work of the church. Let me ask you something. And, and I hope that you all know how fondly that I regard this church. But when was the last time that we could look and we could honestly say that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that was the power of Jesus Christ that moved through this place? So what does that look like? What, what, what does that even look like? Well, let's turn to Acts chapter 2. And I think we see what it looks like when the power of God is functioning in his body, the church. Acts chapter 2. Let's start reading with verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and have, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day 
those who were being saved. I love this in verse 43 that we see, and all came upon every soul. Now this just, this word all, this isn't just a reference to a, a reverend and an intelligence and understanding with our minds of the awe and the awesomeness of God. This is a fear. This is a true reverence of Christ, of his power, of his dominion. This is seeing God elevated. This is seeing Christ high and lifted up, glorified, magnified, honored. And then we see the outplaying of this, that they were meeting together, that they were in fellowship, and you can fellowship without fried chicken. Oh, oh, potluck. Oh, we've got to get back there. Jody, I've got to have a potluck here soon, brother. Now listen, fellowshipping over some fried chicken, that's, that's great. Casseroles, sweet potato casserole. Okay, I've got, I've, got to, I've got to concentrate. But this fellowship of building community, of being in relationship one to another, can that involve meals? Yes, it can. Glory to God, yes, it can. But it's that deep fellowship of knowing and being known. It's talking about praying together. It's talking about studying together. It's talking about serving, about putting things all together, living with this one heart, this one purpose, this one mission, this one mindset to see God glorified. And when these things are done, it says, and all that they were selling their possessions, and day by day they attended the temple, they broke bread, and it says that, and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to their number day by day to those who were being saved. You know, that's, that's one of those markers that we really like seeing because we can, we can give some concreteness to that. It's not as subjective when we can look and say, hey, attendance is up. Hey, giving is up. Hey, we've had souls saved and baptized. Those are things that we can mark. But that's not the only success when the power of God is sweeping through the local church. Verse 43, and all, again, this fear, this reverence for him and his power came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Church, I want to be I want to be a place. I want to be a body. I want to be a fellowship that's not only talking about the name of Jesus, that's not only proclaiming the good news of his gospel, but the power of God is evident in us, in our midst, in our fellowship, in our local church, and in our individual lives to where we're all in awe of our Savior. And that only comes through a deeper relationship with him. So this morning, I kind of want to go back to the name of names. Because we talked about that that would have signified to the Jewish believers, the converts, that 
that was tying it to the I am statements. Not only in the Old Testament, but also in the Gospel of John in particular when Jesus was making the I am statements. But for the Gentiles, that would have, could have, quite possibly, eliminated a litany of other names in their lives. Of other gods, of other deities, of other things that they worshipped, of other values that they had. So, with us, we live in a culture where there's other belief systems, there's other gods, there's other, uh, you know, religions. And yes, Jesus is the name above all of those names. But I think that if we want to get it down to a really personal conviction and challenge this morning, I want to do a little bit of a quiz for you this morning. You don't have to hold your hand up, but I kind of want to read what I think may be some names that come in between us and God. And again, we could talk about worship, we could talk about spiritual disciplines, we could talk about all of those things. But I, I, I got a list of about eight things here that I kind of want to just, you to get an internal gauge of things that might be hindering your relationship with Christ because maybe, just maybe, these names are above his name in your life. First one, see if you've ever thought about this or know somebody thought about this, is ah, I'm, I'm just a worrier. That's who I am. I'm just, I kind of worry about things by nature. That's just, that's just the way I'm designed. I'm just kind of pessimistic. It's not biblical. What about this one? <laughs> I'll never change. I'll never change. That, that thing, I'll never be able to change, fill in the blank. That's just, just who I am. I've tried over and over and over again. I'll never change. That's just who I am. I'll never be victorious over this one thing. Next, I'm never going to be happy again. I am never going to, that one thing that I had that brought me true happiness, that one possibility, that one situation, that one likelihood that I was going to be happy in and I know it. Number four, I can't tell people about Jesus. I can't share my faith. I'm just, I'm not good at it. That's not my calling. That's, that's not my gifting. God hasn't called me. What about this one? I will never, ever have a strong prayer life. Or I'll never, ever be good at reading my Bible. I'm just, that's just not who I am. I just can't do it. What about the one, the, this, this sixth one? That certain place, that certain situation, that certain person will never change. They're too far gone. They're beyond all help. Let's add on to that one. How many of you have ever told, you, told yourself that you are that situation that will never change? It's gone beyond help. There's no way that I can forgive so-and-so. Yeah, preacher, I understand it's biblical. I need to, but you just don't understand. The hurt is just too deep. There's no way that I could ever forgive them. And the last one, no, I just, I can't, I can't do what God's asking me to do. I can't do that. 
You don't understand. I just, I don't have the boldness. I don't have all of I just, I can't do that. You see, and there, the list could go on and on and on. But these are things that we, as individuals, too far often put above the name of Jesus Christ. Now, we would never say that. We would never make that statement. But it's true. It's true of me. It's true of you.